I'm excited about this text. <clears throat> Hope you're excited. It's been fun going through Revelation. Uh, let me give a quick recap just how we get to where we're at today. So Revelation is a message to the churches that they would be strengthened and that they would persevere in the faith in between the two comings of Christ. So in the period of time that we're in now. Chapters 2 and 3, uh, we see letters given to seven churches, which represent all the churches, for the purpose of persevering. We then, from there, we go into the throne room where we see the Father. And the Father is being worshipped and He's being glorified, and we see that He has a scroll in His hand. The only one worthy to open the scroll is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And as He opens the scroll, the scroll contains the contents of what will take place between the comings of Christ. And so we begin to see that these uh, seals are opened. And we looked at the first six seals already. We see that they bring judgment upon the earth. And largely, the focus of the seals was that Christians will be martyred as they proclaim the gospel. We saw that because seal five, we have martyred saints before the throne crying out, how long until you avenge our blood? And then what we see is that there's this interlude which takes place in chapter 7 that functions as a means of encouraging the church, saying, look, they might take your life, but nothing separates you from the presence of God. And we saw this picture of all the saints coming before the throne of God, standing in His presence worshiping God, and then we have this beautiful picture at the end of chapter 7, where for all of eternity, God and the Lamb, Jesus, are caring for the saints, are shepherding them, are satisfying them as they worship and they glorify the Father. And so today, we're going to the seventh seal, which just so, in case you're new to Revelation, there's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bowls, um, and largely covering many of the same aspects from different angles and progressing towards the return of Christ. And so today we're going to look at the seventh seal and the first four trumpets, and then next week we will look at the rest of, we will look at chapter 9, which covers uh, trumpets 5 and 6. And so that's, that's where we're at. And what I want us to see is the title today, God's Purposes Advanced by the church's prayers. I want us to see the power of prayer today. Not because that's my agenda, but because that's what the text is going to show us. God uses the prayers of the saints to advance his God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, new world-creating purposes. And that's what we see. So I hope uh, as we come through here that you will see that clearly. So largely, there's, there's two points. Uh, point number one, God uses the prayers of the saints to bring about the final judgment. And that's what we're going to say. The seventh seal reveals God's final judgment upon the earth. Um, and what we see as he opens that seal, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half hour. That should strike us as very odd. Revelation is not a quiet book. It's not a silent book. It's a very, very noisy, loud, boisterous book. Let me remind you. Chapter 4, verse 8, God the Father is being praised in the throne room. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Chapter 4, verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. That's what's happening right now. 
Then chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. We, we now go from looking at the Father to looking at the Lamb. And we have 24 elders, and they're crying out, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and, langu- and language and people and nation. And then from there we go into verses 11 and 12, where we have 24 elders, four living creatures, and myriads and myriads and myriads and myriads of angels. So there's a whole lot of angels. And they're all shouting out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, all the creatures now, they're crying out, To Him him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. And then we go into chapter 6, verse 10. We have martyred saints underneath the throne room of God crying out, How long until you avenge our blood? Chapter 7, verse 10. We're given a picture of now that extends to eternity. Martyred saints coming out of the tribulation. They're crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Chapter 7, verse 12. In response to the saints crying out praise to God, the angels, the elders, the four living creatures, they cry out, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Silence. That's how the book moves. Do you see it now? There's praise, 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 there's praise. Silence. Why? Why are we now in silence? What's just happened? So, the seventh seal, like the sixth seal, is the judgment upon all rebellious humanity. And the silence is drawing us in. It's bringing us into what is about to happen. And and let me just give you three reasons why we can see that the uh, seventh seal is the judgment upon all unbelieving humanity. Number one, silence in the Old Testament shows Shows judgment and precedes judgment. In Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 7, we read, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. So silence precedes the day when, Christ, when God comes and brings judgment. Isaiah 47, verse 5, Sit in silence, go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. So silence moves right up until the time of judgment. If you remember... Israel walking around Jericho. There was trumpets blowing, this, that was happening. But what were the people doing? Silence. Not a man was permitted to speak as they circled the walls. Until that last time when they yelled and the walls came down. So silence precedes judgment. So that's that's one reason why we can say the seventh seal is moving this way. Secondly, a half hour... um, affirms our understanding of silence referring to judgment. It's a half hour. So we're zeroing into a a short period of time of judgment. When half times are used in the Bible, they often refer to judgment and our crisis. Do you remember how we started this year? What book we were in? The book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 7 verse 25, chapter 9 verse 27, chapter 12 verse 7, we have these times, times, and half a time. You remember that? The half times, these time frames are referring to a half time are always times of judgment, times of crisis. That's, that's reason number two. 
Reason number three, when the angel throws the fire from the altar, look at verse five. It results on earth, peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. That is judgment language, and I have a slide. I believe it will come. Maybe. Um, the one with the three texts, this one. I think I was supposed to cover that with you in that meeting a long time ago. <laughs> that's my fault. Uh, so chapter 8, verse 5, that's where we're at. There's peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, earthquake. Chapter 11, verse 19 is the seventh trumpet, which reveals God's judgment at the end of time. There were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, earthquake, and heavy hell. So there seems to be an escalation. Chapter 16, verse 18, which is the seventh bowl. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. Do you see it? It's the same language escalating from the trumpets, or from the seals to the trumpets to the bowls. In fact, if you go to chapter 4, when God is being worshipped, we see this same language there showing his glory and power and judgment that will be coming from the throne room. And so based upon these other texts, we see that this is language that describes the judgment of God here on earth. But then I started asking, why are we seeing this in the seventh seal? Didn't we already see God's judgment upon unbelieving humanity in the sixth seal? If you were here a couple weeks ago, we opened up the sixth seal and we saw all of creation and we saw all those who have rejected God will fall under the judgment of God. So why is he repeating it? Why do we look at it, the sixth seal, judgment of God, and why do we see it again in the seventh seal? That doesn't happen in the trumpets or in the bowls. Um, why does the sixth and seventh seal show the judgment of God? So, if you remember, the seals show that Christians will die as they proclaim the gospel in the world. We, we looked at that. Now, that doesn't mean all Christians will die, but it, it shows us that as these seals are being opened and there's wars on earth, Christians will be martyred as they go forth proclaiming the gospel, which is why the fifth seal, we have the, the saints crying out to God, how long until you avenge our blood? God answers by saying, not until the last ordained saint is martyred. So again, not all saints will be martyred, but he says, you want to know when? It's not by charts. Not by time frames, it's by the number of saints that have been determined to be martyred until his coming. So what we see is that not even death hinders God's plan, but the death of his saints, of his children, also serves to advance the gospel going forward. He then tells them to wait a little while longer, close them in a white robe, and then we are given the sixth seal to show that the end is coming. He basically, wait a little longer, until the last saint is killed, until the last saint is martyred, and then this is what it's going to look like. And he opens the sixth seal. And he shows the judgment. The interlude functions to strengthen us, which is chapter 7. So what does the seventh seal do? It shows us how that day of judgment will come about. And this is key. Look at verse 3. An angel comes 
to an altar. Well, what altar? It's this golden altar before the throne. And what does he put on it? Incense and the prayers of the saints. Now, these may be the very same thing. Incense and prayers, chapter 5, verse 8, we're told incense and prayers were the same thing. So possibly it's the same thing here. In verse 4, we see the smoke of the incense and the prayers rising before God. Now, what should this make us think of? We have saints, we have prayers, and we have an altar. What does this bring to mind? If you've been with us, and we were in the seals in chapter uh, 6, what we remember in chapter 6, verse 9, we have saints under an altar crying out to God. It's the same terminology. We're in the same picture here. We have saints crying out, how long? He's answering the saints in these texts. And now, these prayers of the saints are rising before the Father. The aroma of the prayers are filling His nostrils. And now He's responding to them. And He does so by an angel, takes a censer and grabs fire that's with the prayers and the incense. And He casts the fire of the prayers and the incense on earth. So what's cast on earth? The fire from the prayers of the saints, right? And so it's the prayers of the saints that are used to bring about the seventh seal, which is the judgment upon all humanity, um, all unbelieving humanity and creation. You see it? And we're just trying to walk through the text and say, what does the text say? We're not trying to read things into the text, but we're seeing that there's a logical flow here. The, the saints have asked a question. How long? Well, it'll be until the last saint is martyred. This is what it's going to look like. And this is how it's going to come by, come about. Through your prayers. Because it's the prayers of the saints that are then taken, thrown onto the earth, which results in the peals of thunder, the lightning, and the earthquake. So we should just pause for a moment. Prayer. How you doing there? Isn't it that, that thing that we all say, man, I always want to grow in prayer. I always want to do uh, a little bit better in prayer. Well, you know, New Year's resolutions, I'll pray more this year. Um, we know prayer is hard. What we see here is that prayer is a means, is a means in which God brings about the judgment that ushers in the new heavens and new earth. Like the only way we're going to pray is if we have a large vision of God and we see who He is and what He's doing. And and what we have here in Revelation is a huge picture of a God who rules in heaven, who's being praised right now by saints who are martyred, by, by elders, by living creatures, by angels and angels and myriads and myriads and myriads of angels. And they're all crying out, praising God. He's on a throne. He's ruling all of humanity. It looks like chaos down here, but remember, there is a sea of glass before Him representing His will is being carried out perfectly here on earth so we have a god in revelation who is not wondering man what's going to happen is there going to be nuclear warfare is this going to happen oh how this guy get into place um but he's ruling he's ordaining he oversees all things is leading all events towards the return of christ and he says the way that comes about is through your prayers so if we want motivation to pray we come to revelation and we see a god who rules all things, loves his people, cares for his people. And he says, if you really long for that day, 
If you want to see the return of Christ, if we long to see pain and suffering and tribulation and evil and wars and all the conflicts come to an end, it's through prayers of the saints. Think about that. Is this seventh seal not also an answer to a prayer that his son told us to pray while on earth? You're all kind of thinking, oh, did, is it? Was there a prayer? What famous prayer do we know that Jesus taught his disciples? Let me just read part of it. Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying for God to make his name glorious. Make it known in all of creation. That's what it is to hallow the name of God. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for all of his glory, all of his might, all of his rule, all of his power to be made known here on earth. When we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, we want your will recognized here. We want your rule here. We want all of creation bowing down before you. What happens in the seventh seal? God uses the prayers of the saints, throws them on earth. God's judgment will come where what? His kingdom comes. His will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom has come. His name is hallowed. Every knee will bow at that time. The kingdom come is the consummation of the gospel. Christ died that he would purchase a people. The church, his bride, Jew and Gentile, black and white, people from all tribes and tongues and nations and languages, that we would be gathered before him for all of eternity, rejoicing under his rule. That's what we pray at the Lord's Prayer. We long for that day. In Revelation, we see how that day comes about. Through the prayers of the saints. When we pray for His will to be done, we're asking to reveal His rule, His power, so creation bows before Him. We're asking that His righteousness and justice be made known. We're crying for Him to come. So when Jesus tells us how to pray, He's also telling us the very means in which he will bring about the fullness of his kingdom. You see that? He says, pray for the kingdom to come. It comes through your prayers, Revelation. In fact, what I did then for fun is I just started, I just started going through. Just, what are we called to pray for in Scripture? What do we see prayers used for in Scripture? How does God use our prayers in Scripture? 1 John chapter 5.16 They bring, um, our prayers are used to bring back believers who have fallen into sin, to bring them back into repentance and into the church. James chapter 5 verse 15 Prayer is used uh, to, say, to heal the sick. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 Prayer is the means that the church is strengthened, becomes fruitful, and walks in a God-honoring way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Prayer advances the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Prayer is the means of our spiritual warfare. Do you know that? 
Our, our warfare is not we're taking up swords. Our warfare is not about making physical war. The way we understand warfare is there is a spiritual war, and that is far greater. And the way we engage is with the Word of God and through prayer. Acts chapter 12, verse 5, prayer is used to rescue the saints. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, prayer fills the church with boldness in the midst of persecution. When the church is persecuted, when they're whipped, when they're beaten um, by the Pharisees for the proclamation of the gospel, they go home, they pray, and they're filled with boldness in the Spirit, and they go back out proclaiming the gospel. Luke chapter 22, verse 40, prayer is a means in which we resist temptation. Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, prayer is how we trust and depend upon God. Your prayers are not idle. Do you know that? Your prayers do not fall on deaf ears. We don't pray to a God of gold, a God of silver, a God of bronze, a God of wood, a God of stone, a God of rock to which cannot respond. We do not pray to a mute God. We pray to God the Father, who spoke creation into place. And our prayers are the fragrant aroma that fills the throne room of God. Do you see that picture? Do you want to know if you're loved? Do you want to know if you're valued? Your prayers fill the throne room of God with an aroma that causes heaven to silence. See that? It's the picture we have here. That thus the kingdom would come. So we, we talked earlier, so I just remind you now. First Sunday of the month, 5 to 7, prayer night. Why? Because we think prayer is a good idea? Because we have nothing better to do? No, because we see prayer as a powerful powerful tool that we have in the way we communicate to God in the way we communicate our trust our faith and our love to God and we see that he greatly loves us and loves our prayers and he uses our prayers for the advancement of the gospel so when we pray you know what we're going to pray for you know what one of the things we're going to pray for thy kingdom come hallowed be your name that's what we're going to pray for why because it's a good idea because it comes from scripture because we know our prayers will lead to the return of Christ, that his kingdom will come, that a new earth will be made, and that we will rejoice and live with him for all of eternity. So I encourage you, come. Come on these nights. We will spend time in prayer. We will go through that list of scripture. We will pray through structured prayers like those, praying for the boldness of the church, praying for the healing of people, praying for the gospel to keep going forth, praying that those who have fallen into sin will come back into the church. And we can pray confidently because our God loves our prayers. And they fill the throne room. But our prayers are not just used for the purpose of bringing about his final judgment. What we see in trumpets 1 through 4, they're bringing about his judgments now in between the two comings of Christ, which is the church age. So that brings us to our second point. God uses the prayer of the saints to bring about the seven trumpets of judgment. So, if you notice, go back to chapter 8, verse 2. In chapter 8, verse 2, we are introduced to the seven angels who are given seven trumpets. And then it's like we leave them. I mean, honestly, if you're reading through and you're thinking logically, you're going, why did we mention this here? Why did not we not just mention this before chapter, before verse 6? 
Like, why didn't we just start then, when he actually starts talking about the trumpets? The reason is because he's connecting the prayers which are in between verse 2 and verse 6 as a way of showing prayers bring about the final judgment. Prayers are also about bringing the four judgments of trump, four trumpet judgments. That was a fun cry. Let's see. So the, so the seventh seal judgment upon all of humanity is brought about by the prayers of the saints, so also are the trumpets. The trumpets are also an answer to the martyred prayers, and we'll flesh that out in a little bit. But Jesus shows prayers bring about the final judgment. Prayers bring about the temporal restrained judgments of God that happen between his two comings. So today we're looking only at four trumpets, and largely I want us to just think, how are we supposed to think about them? Um, so in order to do that, we're going to look at two Old Testament texts that give us understanding of these trumpets. We'll look at why they come, who they focus on, and last we'll see what, what they're showing us, what they indicate. So two Old Testament texts that are helpful for understanding the trumpets. Joshua and Jericho. You all remember that story? Walking around the walls. When Israel crosses the Jordan River, they come into the promised land, and what do they see? A big, giant city representing the kingdom of the world. Fortified. Massive. There's no way Israel is getting past this city until God says in verse 2, I have given you, Jericho, into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So here's the game plan. Get your trumpet guys ready. Get your choir people ready. Isn't that weird? Like, it's not get the armies. How are your trumpets? That's how we're going to take down the city. And so we get the trumpet guys, seven trumpets. Seven trumpets. We have seven trumpets here. Seven trumpets there. They will be leading Israel around Jericho. And they will do so for six days. One time each day they will walk around. People will be in utter silence and the trumpets will be blasting. On the seventh day they walk around seven times. Trumpets blasting. People silent until Joshua stands up and cries out, God has given us victory. Then all the people cry, and the trumpets continue to blow, and the walls come tumbling down. You singing it now? Yeah, I'm not. Um, So what do trumpets do? Trumpets symbolize judgment. Symbolize judgment, and they symbolize victory. They're symbolizing Christ's returning in the victory of his people. And we see that trumpets represent judgment upon the world. So that's one one picture that's very helpful as we're looking at these seven trumpets. Picture number two, the exodus. The trumpets are clearly calling us to recall the ten plagues that came upon Egypt. We have to see that. In fact, in fact, if, you, if you're familiar with the ten plagues that come across Egyptians, trumpet number one, where a third of the earth and the trees and the grass were burned in verse seven, that's kind of like plague number seven, where hail and fire are destroyed and all vegetation and livestock are destroyed in Egypt. Trumpet number two, a great mountain is thrown into the sea, and the result is a third of the sea becomes blood, and a third of living creatures in the sea die. Well, what plague does that bring about? Was that not the first plague that Moses comes and the Nile turns to blood and the fish are destroyed and killed because of that? 
Trumpet number three, a third of the waters become bitter and many died. That also probably refers to plague number one, the Nile turning to blood. Trumpet number four, a third of the sun, moon, and stars were darkened. Well, in plague number nine, darkness covers all of Egypt. Not Goshen, where Israel lived, but all of Egypt, all over the kingdoms of this world. And so we're definitely meant to think the Exodus plagues. These trumpets are meant to show us God's judgment coming upon the earth. And don't miss, they're an answer to prayer. Remember the plagues upon Egypt. Why were they brought about? In Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, God says, I have heard the cries of my people, I've remembered my covenant, and therefore the ten plagues come. The reason we have the Exodus is because the people are crying out to God. God responds to their prayers, and we have that. What do we have here in Revelation? We have the martyred saints, the prayers of the church coming before God, filling the throne room. He takes the golden censer of the prayers of the saints, casts it down as a response to the prayers. And so surely we're to see that these trumpets are also a response of the prayers. So who are, these prayer, who are these trumpets against? Who are they focused upon? Now remember, we're looking at the seals. The seals primarily focus that Christians will be martyred in between the two comings of Christ. We, we saw that. That's clear context of that. And what we see here is that the, shift has, or the focus has shifted from believers to unbelievers. The trumpets largely show us the judgment that's coming upon upon unbelievers. Now, why do we say this? Well, one, the plagues upon Egypt were primarily an answer to the cries of the people and directed against the Egyptians. In fact, in Exodus, I have it written down, I can't remember, 8.22, I think, that we see that the prayers are that um, Egypt is affected, but not God's people are affected. In Revelation 9.4, which we'll look at more next week, Under the fifth trumpet, we are told that none of the saints, the ones with the seal on them, will be harmed. Now clearly, we're not to think that no saints will be affected during this time, and that saints won't be killed during this time, but the focus of the seals was, as the gospel goes forth, there will be saints who will be martyred. And then as we look at the trumpets, we see there's also judgment, and there is a judgment upon unbelievers also during this time. And we'll look at that even more next week. But based upon what we see here, that seems to be the obvious thrust of the passage. Um, so how are we to think about these then? Like, what's actually happening here? I think that's all what we want to know, right? Like, so what's happening in these trumpets? So I'll just give you two theories, and, and you can choose which one you like. Number one, there's the undoing of creation. Just as the ten plagues on Egypt were an undoing of creation, so these four trumpet blasts bring about the undoing of creation. Fire destroys a third of the earth. Vegetation is destroyed. Water is turned to blood. Sea life is dying. A mountain is thrown into the sea. The stars and moon and the sun will grow dark. So surely these trumpets make us think of natural disasters, which possibly that's what they refer to. And in A.D. 79, do you all remember what happened? Robert does. Vesuvius. Pompeii. Remember? Mount Vesuvius erupts. Pompeii's gone. Right? 
And, and what happened? Well, a giant part of the mountain flew into the sea. The Bay of Naples was primarily destroyed. Living um, the, 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 the merchants and the ships were destroyed. Sea life was killed. And because of the massive um, eruption of the volcano, a huge cloud, like 30, 40, 50 miles wide, covered much of the sky. And so there was a blackness that filled the earth. So surely, this trumpet is meant to bring about imagery like that, right? I mean, it kind of fits, almost, historically. And very possibly, these trumpets are to show that the cataclysmic events that happen in between the comings of Christ, possibly tsunamis, possibly hurricanes, possibly tornadoes, are all a means of God's judgment on the world. And if that's true, I would not say that they're targeted. Meaning... That if an earthquake happens in Indonesia, it's because Indonesia is more wicked than other people. We don't have freedom to go there. Okay? There are people who say they're Christians that say that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's good theology. And I think that brings, well, that brings about a lot of other issues. We'll just move on. But we can see that's a very likely interpretation. And that's where I was earlier before I studied more and more in this chapter. So where I'm at now is maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe it's the undoing of creation and the plagues on earth. Or maybe it's more of the destruction of the kingdoms of this world. And this is where I'm kind of at now. And you don't have to be here, but this is where I'm at. Um, The four trumpet blasts shows the physical and spiritual fall of earthly kingdoms. They show that war will be constant on earth and kingdoms will rise and they will fall. Kingdoms like Jericho, kingdoms like Babylon, kingdoms like Rome, they will all fall. And so, so many other nations have when we looked at history. Now, if you remember, the four seals were largely about war here on earth. These wars um, bring about hostility that result in the death of Christians. But also, what I see is that these wars are also the very judgment and wrath of God against mankind. Here are a few reasons why I say this. The first trumpet that results in a third of the earth being burned and a third of vegetation being burned was a common military tactic. When the Parthians attacked Rome, they burned all their fields. And guess what happened after the fields were burned? Black smoke all filled the sky. We have military terminology here. All the fields were burned. All the vegetation was burned, which results what? In famine, which we see in the sixth seal completely, or in the the seals. Um, So largely, we have military terminology that's happening here. In trumpet number two, we see a large mountain thrown into the sea. While this could be a volcanic eruption, very well could be, Most likely, the mountain represents a kingdom, a kingdom of this world. In fact, uh, mountains in the Old Testament represent kingdoms. And Jeremiah said Babylon was a mountain that would be thrown into the sea. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 25. Behold, I'm against you, O destroying mountain. This is Babylon, declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you roll you down from the crags, make you a burnt mountain. Jeremiah 51, 42. The sea has come up upon Babylon. She is covered with this tumultuous wave. So what do we have? We have a mountain called Babylon that's going to be rolled up, destroyed, crushed, burnt, and thrown into the sea. That really seems like the trumpets here also. And if we go to Revelation 18, 19, 
we see Babylon will be covered by the seas and all the ships will be destroyed. Babylon is used in Revelation to portray the kingdoms of this world and the waters coming upon it is the judgment of God. So contextually, I'm being much more now convinced that it's the rise and fall of worldly kingdoms. Now perhaps the bitter water in the third trumpet it refers to the deception of mankind. Um, angels in uh, the Old Testament could be represented as a star. Stars coming into the earth could be a demonic, deceptive angel. Perhaps the darkness in the fourth trumpet either results as fires, um, fires of the kingdoms as they're being attacked, or it represents the spiritual darkness of humanity. And you say, well, why would you say that? Well, in the fifth trumpet, it speaks of spiritual darkness that affects the sun and covers it and darkens the earth. So do you know what you believe now? You're like, I have no clue. Um, I think we need to be careful when we're thinking of the trumpets as if we're 100% sure what they are. They might refer to natural disasters. I'm more convinced they refer to the the depravity of man, and the fall of worldly kingdoms. I think that's where we're at here. Um, and if that's true, then what that means is that as we constantly see the threat of war, nuclear, chemical, and whatever else, as we continue to see the rise of atheism and liberalism and new tolerance in, in America, as we continually see more and more religions becoming more and more hostile to Christianity, as we continue to see leaders like Nero and Domitian and Stalin and Hitler and Kim Jong-un and, and leaders like these rise, and we see their power, we know it will fall also. And as we see these fall, we see God's judgment coming upon the world and we see that he is in control, that he rules. So let me just give three, three things to think as we leave. Whatever is happening in these trumpets, we know it's judgment. We know it's brought about by prayers. So let's pray fervently. Let's pray. God uses our prayers. He loves for us to pray. So be encouraged to pray. Let's pray for justice. Let's pray for righteousness. Let's pray for his kingdom to come. Let's pray for his return. Let's pray that we as a church would stand firm. Let's gather on prayer meetings. And remember, whatever we do here, like what we do here today, it's just supposed to be a taste of what we do every day outside of here. So when we have prayer meeting here, that's hopefully because we're always praying outside of these walls as well. Let us pray. It's through our prayers God will bring about the return of Christ. It's through our prayers God will bring about his restrained judgment. That's a third of the earth, a third of the earth. It's restrained. It's not full yet. So let's pray. Number two, let's share continuously. Prayer is definitely one of the, the, the major takeaways that we have here. And one of the major takeaways we had from the seals is that we go forth and we share the gospel. And even if we were martyred, the gospel continues to go forth. And remember Jericho. Was anyone saved in Jericho, even though God's judgment came upon it? Rahab was saved. And when the ten plagues came upon Egypt, were Egyptians saved? Most likely. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, we're told a mixed multitude marched out of Egypt. Most likely, that's Egyptians. Most likely, that's other people who were in Egypt went with Israel. So God's judgment will harden some and it will soften others. Let's remember that. It hardens some. It's soft. So let's just share. Let's share continuously. Some, they're just going to turn and reject us. And we see that. 
Some are going to come and receive Christ. We see that also. So let's share continuously. And lastly, let's live fearlessly. Our God is in control. All of this comes from the throne room. The seals come from the throne room. The trumpets come from the throne room. God is on his throne. The sea is glass. Christ holds the keys of death in Hades. All of those pictures are visions for us to remember. Our God is in control. I don't have to live and try to protect my life at every corner. There are some Christians who think that a way to live faithful is to stockpile water and food, go live in a bunker somewhere, and wait it out. You will not find that in the Acts. You will not find that in the Gospels. You will not find that in any letter. You will not find that in Revelation. If anything, you see the church being thrusted back out into the world, going forth in great boldness, in great wisdom, in great power. Not their power, but in the power of Christ. And even their death, which Satan and the world will say, look, we've conquered them. But yet the death advances the Gospel also. Nothing the world can do can hinder the advance of the gospel. That's the picture we have here in Revelation. So like John, he's been exiled because of his faith. He's been burned in oil because of his faith. He's not a hermit, but now he's writing a book that could cost him his life that will continue to strengthen us and the church for thousands of years until Christ return. That is a picture of how we live because of who our Christ is. So as we pray today, as we close today, let's be filled with strength, filled with boldness. And when we pray, God hears our prayers. God loves our prayers. God uses our prayers to advance the gospel. Let's know that. And let's pray for God's kingdom to come. Let me pray. Father, Father, we thank you for today. God, these... These trumpets are confusing. This book is sometimes confusing. But yet, God, you've given us wisdom and your spirit is in us. We might not know everything and might not know every detail, but we see that you are in control. We see that you are powerful. And we see that your lamb is worthy because he has come and died on the cross so that we could have life. And it's because of that these events are taking place. And we do not need to cower God, may we be strengthened by your word, strengthened by your spirit who dwells within us. May as we come into your word, be strengthened by your word, that we would go into this world, that we would pray fervently, that we would share continuously, that we live fearlessly, knowing that, God, you are in control. and You are using our prayers, our lives, our breath, and our death as the advancement of the gospel. In your name, Jesus, amen. I'm going to ask the man.